You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. You heard me reference, for those of you who may not know, that we did a Good Friday service this Good Friday, and that's one of the traditions that we have, and it was just a great time. I mentioned we have four worship services here on Sunday. The, the fourth one in the afternoon is in Spanish, and uh, we were able to combine all those services and just basically have one service on Good Friday night. So it was a bilingual, bicultural service. We sang songs in Spanish. We sang songs in English. I preached the message in English, and then our Hispanic pastor, Gabe Myers, was up here with me, and he, he preached it in Spanish. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. And there was something that happened that night that... I try not to usually allow to happen, and that is I told a story and I didn't finish it. And so when we finished that night, one of our traditions here, and really this is a tradition that's been practiced for hundreds of years by Jesus followers and by Christians, especially with Good Friday, is that when the Good Friday service ends, it ends in silence. And we, we literally agree to leave here in silence to, to think about what Jesus did for us on the cross, but also to prepare our hearts to celebrate the resurrection today. So because we left in silence, no one was able to come to me and say, you never finished that story. Or you, 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 what, what happened? So we're gonna finish that story here, here this morning. And for those of you who are at Good Friday, the beginning's gonna be a little redundant and I ask you to be patient with that. But many years ago, my, my dad and I went on a hunting trip together. It was one of the first that I went on with him. I was a teenager. And we went to the high desert just outside of Prineville. And we went out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was, it was nothing. There was no civilization around. It was just us and a lot of desert. And there was about 10 of us in our hunting party with four, four-wheel drives. So we made our way out to this desolate place, parked the trucks, and dispersed. But before we did, we made an agreement. And the agreement was we would hide our keys under each of the pickup trucks. And if someone got a deer they were welcome to come back and whatever pickup was still there to take it and then go get the deer and and come back and that we would meet sometime before sundown in the late afternoon. So my dad and I drew the task of hiking up the mountain that we parked at the base of and hunting up it and then around the other side while everybody else went went around the front and then the sides. So it took us most of the day to go up this mountain and to get down to the other side and by the end of the day, we were really tired. And in the high desert, when it gets hot, It's really hot, and this was a particularly warm fall when we were hunting, and it was about a 90 to 95 degree day. I don't remember how hot it was, but it was hot. So we had long run out of water, long run out of food. We were tired, dehydrated, really, and decided it's time to go back. We've seen nothing. We got nothing. We're done. So we started to make our way back around this mountain and back down to where our trucks, and we got to where our trucks were supposed to be, and there was nothing there. They were all gone. And there was no one there. No one from our hunting party. And we thought, well, this is good news. This is good. They they all must have gotten a a deer, and so that's why all the trucks are gone. So they'll show back up. And we waited. And we waited. And we waited. And the sun sank lower in the sky, and we waited. And then it was dusk, and we were still waiting. And there are two things that happen in the high desert when the sun goes down. Number one, it gets really dark. And it was a moonless night. So the only light was by the starlight and it was pitch black. You could barely see your hand in front of your face. It was dark. 
Number two, when the sun goes down in the high desert, it gets cold very quickly. And it was a really cold night, and we were not dressed for it. So as the sun's going down and these realities are sinking in, we decided we better gather some firewood and build a fire because they're obviously going to be a while. So we gathered actually quite a bit of firewood, built this fire, and waited and waited. And then it burned down to embers, and then it began to go out. And we had a choice to make. Do we believe that our friends are going to come back? And this morning we wrestle with this whole idea of what it means to believe. What does it mean to believe in something or to believe in someone? Or really with where we're going this morning, what does it mean to believe in the resurrection? We're going to turn to the Gospel of John this morning for help in answering and wrestling through that, that question. So if you have a Bible, please open it up to John chapter 20. We are going to look at the resurrection story together. And if you have an electronic Bible by way of your phone or a tablet, get that out, turn it on. We will put it up on the screens behind me here. And I want to walk this through with you. We're going to actually cover quite a bit of ground. We'll jump around a little bit, but we're going to do most of chapter 20. And we're going to really wrestle with What does it mean to believe in the resurrection? So here we go. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And we know from what John tells us in other parts of this gospel, he's writing about himself. He is the disciple who Jesus loved, who he's referring to here. So he's talking about himself. So Peter and John, and she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now who is the they? We don't know. We're we're never told who the they was. And understand that what we're about to see and what we're gonna continue to see is that as Mary and the disciples are grappling with and wrestling with this empty tomb, they haven't yet come to the conclusion that a resurrection has taken place. They're just trying to make sense out of this. And so a possible explanation is someone has taken the Lord out of the tomb. So Peter and the other disciple started running for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And I can relate to that. I run with my wife. She outruns me all the time. I've been there. So he bends over. He looks in at the strips of linen lying there, but he doesn't go in. But then Simon Peter came along behind him, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head and the cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Now John adds this little explanation here. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Is it possible to believe in something or someone, or in this case, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus without having all your questions answered? Without having all the information you think you need? Is, is it possible to believe in some? Yes. 
You don't have to have all your questions answered, all the information you think you need in order to believe in something or even to believe in the resurrection. And it goes on to say, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And now we're gonna shift gears to Mary. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They, here's the mysterious they again, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. How did she not know it was Jesus? And, and we don't know. But it says that she had been crying there and was crying. And this word for crying isn't just a tear or two. This is sobbing. This is wailing. This is deep, deep despair. You ever cried like that? You ever been with someone who has cried like that? If it's been you, you know that your eyes, they just, they kind of get puffy and you, you cry till you don't have any tears left. Could it be that she'd been crying so hard, her eyes were so puffy that she just didn't recognize Jesus? Maybe. Or maybe Jesus kind of veiled himself from her. You know, she, he deliberately didn't allow her to write. I, we don't know. But look how he responds. He asks her, woman, why are you crying? And again, these are the kind of details I begin to wonder about. What was the tone of his voice like when he said woman? Was it woman? Like how I talked to Jamie? No, I, 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 don't talk, I don't talk to Jamie that way, okay? If I ever come in and I have a black eye, you know I blew it and did it. But I don't talk to my wife that way. I love and esteem and respect her. Right, woman? Right. She's, she's in the back. I need a place to eat Easter dinner today. Will someone take me in? But he says, woman, why are you crying? And that doesn't sound as harsh or impersonal as, as, as it seems, because if you think back with me, for those of you who know the Gospel of John, in John chapter two, when Jesus perform, performs the first recorded miracle that we know of, where he turned the water into wine at the marriage, at the, at the wedding that was going on, remember, it was his mom who asked him to do that. And you remember how he responded to her? He said, woman, why are you asking me to involve myself in this way? It was, a, it was a term of endearment. There, there was affection and relationship there. So he asked her, who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, which is fair because Jesus' tomb was in the garden, was in a garden, I should say. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, he calls her by name. What do you think the tone of his voice was like when he said that? She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which again is affection, which means teacher. She knew exactly who it was when he called her by name. Jesus said, uh, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. Let's jump down here. So Mary Magdalene, goes to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So now we're gonna shift gears to the disciples. On the evening of the first day of the week, that same day, so Sunday evening, 
When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed that they saw the Lord. So they're excited. They, they can see for themselves that Jesus has risen from the dead. And now we shift gears once again. First Mary, the disciples, and now to Thomas. Ah, Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the 12, and he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, eh, no. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. So now Thomas has had a week to hear Mary, to hear the other disciples talk about the reality that they have seen Jesus and he has risen from the dead and he still doesn't believe. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, one of the most powerful, profound expressions of faith and belief in the Bible. My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So, so much about belief here. What it means to believe. And as I think about what we've read here with you, there, there's a question that comes to my mind. It's actually, honestly, it's the first question. And I'll ask it if you won't. But what in the world is wrong with these people? They saw an empty tomb. After Jesus repeatedly had said, I'm going to rise from the dead, I'm going to rise from the dead, I'm going to rise from the dead, his enemies took him seriously, they sealed the tomb, they put the tomb under guard, and now they come to an empty tomb, and there it is in front of them. Not looking unlike that. That's a first century tomb that I got to see last year when I went to Israel. It's not Jesus' tomb. We don't know where Jesus' tomb is. But it's a tomb that dates back to the time when Jesus would have died and it would have been very similar to this. So they go and they see that. And at least initially, it does not dawn on them that Jesus rose from the dead and did exactly what he said he was gonna do. Peter and John go in, they see strips of linen and, an, and a body that's missing. And John, it says John believed, but Peter didn't. He went away still trying to wrap his mind around this. What is wrong with these people? They have all this evidence, more evidence than you and I will ever have, and yet they still didn't believe. I think that's the wrong question. The question isn't what's wrong with these people. The, the real question is, what does it mean to believe? Could it be that belief is more than just evidence and facts and data? There are so many rational, reasonable, logical reasons to consider the resurrection as a true historical event. To consider the claims of Christianity. I mean, number one, Christianity is the only worldview, the only world value belief system that says you don't seek God, God seeks you. 
Christianity is the only worldview, the only religion that says, its principal figure says, I'm not a way to God, I'm not a prophet, I am God. No other religious figure said they were God. They said they're a way to God, they'll tell you how to get to God. Jesus says, I am God, and demands a response accordingly. The resurrection, and we'll just move on from here, but it's one of the most historically verified events in ancient antiquity. We have a volume of evidence that points to this really happened. Just in how the disciples responded after it happened, they all literally went on to die martyrs' deaths and lose their lives. For a lie? No one dies for a lie. They must have genuinely been persuaded that what they said they saw really did happen, and we could go on and on, but you know what? That's not enough. That's not enough to believe. In fact, I'll go a step further because the Bible does. You cannot believe on your own. It is impossible to believe in the resurrection on your own. And this is why Jesus said so. In this very gospel, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him or them. He goes on to say, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. We need God's help to believe. What does he systematically do with each and every person he comes to the morning of his resurrection? He gives them exactly what they need to believe, to help them. To Peter and John, he gives evidence. Empty tomb, empty linens. To Mary, he comes to her and he calls her by name. To the disciples, he shows himself to them. He allows them to touch him. To Thomas, to Thomas, he allows him to touch him. And notice, he does not rebuke Thomas. He does not take him to task for doubting. In fact, he gives Thomas what he needs to believe. And Jesus systematically does that over and over and over again. God will give you what you need to believe him. In fact, you can't believe without his help. You need his help. In fact, the first step to believing is to admit that you don't and then to ask for his help to believe. That is the starting point for belief. And notice what Thomas does. When Jesus appears and presents himself to him, he drops his conditions and he believes. And this is really important because we look at Thomas and we can reasonably say, wow, you know what? What, what a doubter. What a Northwesterner. What a Portlander. What a skeptic. You better show me because I'm not buying until you show me, until you prove it to me. But what's really important to understand is that Thomas was a skeptic. He was not a cynic. And there's a big difference between the two. Because there are a number of people who will say, well, you know, I just, I just can't believe. Well, do you believe the evidence? Yeah. Could it have happened? Yeah. Do you believe the Bible's true? Yeah, yeah. So do you believe in the resur resurrection of Jesus? Well, yeah, no, not really. Big difference between I'm struggling to believe, I have doubts, and I will not believe. Because scripture is also really clear that God has seemingly unlimited patience for those who are struggling and wrestling to believe like Thomas and the disciples and Mary. But he has limited patience for those who will not believe. 
And this God will come to you time and time again, over and over again. He's coming again to you this morning to ask you if you will believe and follow and trust him. But eventually, he stops coming to you if you persistently say, nope, 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 nope. And he will give you far more chances than any of us would ever give someone else. But there is a limit to those chances. If you choose to say, I will not believe. You need his help to believe. And he will come to you and give you what you need to believe because he's, he's a personal God. He's not a principle. He's not a code. He's not a, a moral authority necessarily. He is a, he is a person. And because he is a person, he needs to get personal with you. Or to put it another way, the truth needs to get personal with you. And intuitively, you get this in other parts of your life. For years, I could have told you all the benefits of running and exercise. I am married to a health and wellness coach. And I could, I could give you statistics and studies and data. And not only am I married to a health coach, I'm also married to a runner. She, Jamie has run her entire life. Why? Why would anybody do that? Run after a basketball? Run after a baseball? Run after a soccer ball? Run after a football? Run to Easter dinner later today? But run for the sake of running? What's wrong with these people? Who does that? And yes, it's good for you. Yes, it will prolong your life. Yes, it's the best caloric bang for your buck. Almost more than any other exercise, running is what expends the most calories. Yada, 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 on, on. Okay, yeah, that's great. Do you do it? No. Want to go running? No. And that was the way things went for a long time. Want to go run? Let me think about that. No. <laughs> Until one day, my wife, my lovely sweet wife, whom I love, looked me in the eye and said, do you want to go running with me? To be with me? To spend time with me? No. Yeah, no, I said yes. <laughs> yes. And that was the tipping point. And so I went running with her. You know what I love about running? Stopping. <laughs> How I feel when I'm done. But all of a sudden, the truth moved from data and statistics and facts and to a good idea to engaging my heart and really changing my life. For seven years now, five, six days a week, almost without exception, I run with my wife to be with her because she asked me to. Jesus, the real live person, the knowable, loving, engaging God comes to you and I once again this morning and says, will you believe? Not in a principle, but in me, the person and what I have done through my death, burial, and resurrection. Because if you believe if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you receive him into your life, your life will change. Did you hear and see Amy's story in that video? That is not the story of someone who has adopted a new moral code, who is now trying to be a good person, who is living a life of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. This is someone who has been, who's been changed from the inside out. Empty religion will come to you and say, do this, do that, and that will somehow change you. Christianity comes to you and says, in the person of Jesus Christ, 
It's not what you do, it's what I've done for you. And then you respond to that and love me and follow me with your life. Religion will try to change you from the outside in. Jesus will change you from the inside out because he gives you a new you. He changes your heart. He changes your motives. He changes your thoughts. He changes um, your values. And then, yes, eventually your behavior. But it's a change to the very core. And you'll see that change illustrated once again in the baptism stories that you're going to hear in just a little bit of folks who are now getting baptized to show that they love Jesus and follow him with their, with their lives. But just a moment for those of you who do believe. If you believe in Jesus like I do, and I know many of you do, you know him, you love him, if you know him and love him, you will change. You will become more and more like him as he blesses your life and as he empowers you to live for him. So are you? Some of you were here last Easter. That's outstanding. We're glad you're here again. Are you any different than you were a year ago? Three months ago? Last week? Yesterday? Now, in fairness, boy, is that hard to quantify, right? Is that difficult to measure? But if you know and love and believe in Jesus, you will become more loving. You will become more giving. You will become more serving. You will be more courageous. You will be more faithful. You will see injustice and want to do more and more about it. You will become more and more like Jesus. You will be transformed from the inside out. Oftentimes, most of the time, it seems it's incremental. Sometimes it's miraculous and overnight, but it's seemingly in the day-to-day of the rhythms that we live, but you should be changing and becoming more like Jesus, not necessarily by trying harder, but by believing more. So much of following Jesus isn't about trying harder. Yes, there's effort. Yes, it matters, but at the same time, so much of following Jesus is about believing him, taking him at his word, trusting him, believing more because belief is always active. It is never passive. In fact, in this gospel, when John is saying believe, there's something that we can sometimes miss. In the original language, there's a preposition that says believe, it's into. So it's always believe into, believe into. It was understood that when you believed in something, that was more than just mental assent or mentally agreeing with something or saying, yeah, that's a good idea. It means you did something about it. It means you really did believe it. You really did do it. You really did live it. And that's the kind of belief that Jesus is asking for. And I'm going to tread softly here, but I am going to go here. There are some of you who are here this morning because you think you're doing God a solid. You go to church once or twice a year at Easter or Christmas, or you come because someone invited you, or you come because you're trying to please someone, or you come because you think somehow this is getting points with God. We, we love the fact you're here. It honors and blesses God you're here, but there's so much more to following Jesus than what we do here. This is the God who asks you to love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And some of you might say, why? Which actually is a very reasonable question. Why? Why love this God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all yourself? Do you 
truly understand, do I truly understand and know what he has done for me? What he has done for you? It was dark. It was cold. We were thirsty. We really were dehydrated. And we didn't know where we were going. And we didn't know what we were going to do. What would you do? Your friends say they're going to come back for you and they have not come. Do you believe them? Because what you do will show what you believe. And we believed them. But it was cold. And we were out of firewood and it was dark and we couldn't gather some more. There was one road in and one road out. And so we knew that if we truly believed they were coming back for us, they would be coming down that road. And so to stay warm, we began moving and really bumbling our way down this road in the middle of the night, in the dark, hoping, believing that our friends would come back, that they would come looking for us. And we walked a long time. And I remember dropping down into this little draw, almost a little valley, really. And we were just getting ready to climb back up the hill that was this road. And all of a sudden, the entire horizon lit up. I thought it was aliens. <laughs> never seen anything like it. I've, I've never experienced anything like it. But we were sheltered in such a way and in such a place that the entire sky illuminated. I mean, it was just, all of a sudden, it was light. And then this four-wheel drive crested the hill right above us. And as we walked up to it, they rolled down the window and it was our friends who had come back looking for us. Once again, Jesus is coming to you again this morning looking and pursuing you. He is looking for you. The question I don't think is, is the resurrection true? Was Jesus who he said he really was? The real question, the real question that you have to do business with is this. Will you believe? Will you believe? Our worship team is going to come and we're gonna respond to what we've, what we've heard here this morning. We're gonna see Millie get baptized right over here by her, one of her grandpas, which is gonna be incredible. And for those of you who call Grace Home, we are doing baptism a little different by design, deliberately this morning. The tank is over here to try to get them a little closer to you as well as just all that we have going on here. Unfortunately, because of our, our video um, configuration this morning, we're not gonna be able to project it up on the screens like we normally do. So we're gonna give you blessing to move around if you need to to see this, especially you guys on this side because our musicians are gonna be here. If you wanna get up and stand up over here, please feel free to do so in order to see this. But what we'll do is you're gonna see the stories of those who got baptized in this last service and then you'll get to see Millie's story and then we'll get to see her get baptized. And as, as we prepare to see this, I just wanna invite you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes just so you can concentrate and so you can listen to God communicating to you. If what you've heard this morning makes sense to you, and you feel drawn to believe, that is God giving you the help that you need to believe.
And if you realize you've never done that before, I want to encourage you, just between you and God, to silently ask him to come into your life. In fact, would you just pray this silently between you and God? Jesus, I do believe in you. And I receive you into my life as my Lord and Savior. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you will never leave me. For those of you here who know the Lord, who believe in him, believe in the reality of his resurrection with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, what is it you need to believe him for right now? How do you want to trust him more? Follow him more faithfully. Be who he's called you to be. Lord, I thank you that you were real, that the resurrection really did happen, that because of what you have done, you have rescued us from a life without you, a life of brokenness, And instead, you save us to a life of joy and forgiveness and acceptance. And we're so grateful for who you are and what you've done. I pray your blessing over each person here, and we continue to celebrate the life change that only comes through believing in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.